irrefutable. And I was talking to you about uh, subject matters that, honestly, they are irrefutable. Things that I feel that the body of Christ needs to get in their spirit, in their hearts, because we live in a day and age of deception. Can somebody say amen to that? I mean, if you haven't seen it yet, you're about to. More of it's coming. And so I want God's people to be uh, prepared. I want God's people to know what God's word has to say um, that's, that's irrefutable. Uh, you cannot change it. It's just the gospel. It is what the word says. And we talked about, in fact, the inerrancy of the word of God last week and how that <clears throat> the word, God says, is above his very name. And so that's how highly he thinks of the word. When he speaks it, uh, the Bible says it's like the rain that descends from the cloud and that it has to come upon the earth. And, it, and, it, and what it does is it replenishes the earth with moisture and then it springs forth up and grow. He said, same, same as my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me void, says the Lord. So God breathed. That was what the word inspired means. The word of God is inspired by God. It means God breathed upon him. Yes, men wrote it. Uh, different men uh, wrote it throughout history uh, over 2,000 years uh, on different continents, didn't know each other, couldn't collaborate, um, and yet they're speaking with continuity. Uh, all through, everything links. Every, it's like puzzles coming together, pieces of the puzzle coming together, and it all just works together because God breathed upon it. So I love the Word of God because the Word of God, in fact, shows all um, the different aspects of the Lord, of God, but also of humanity, and it doesn't hide sin. If a man of God sins, it just tells you right, right in the book, and so it's, it's showing you that, that uh, men are not perfect, but God still is and that God is faithful. So you can count on his word. It's inerrant. has no errors whatsoever. Then we talked about, earlier than that, we talked about the deity of Jesus. And how, in fact, that Jesus is not just the Son of God, but he, in fact, is God uh, that was made manifest in the flesh. That he walked, God actually walked as a man on planet Earth. That he may know our temptations, our weaknesses, our struggles. He might know what we go through. And then, not only that, but walked as a man because it would become a, a sacrifice for mankind. So God couldn't come as a spirit. He had to come as a man to die for the sin of the world, but he had to be a perfect specimen, a perfect man, which means he had to be sinless. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points like unto man, yet without sin. So he knows the struggles. He knows the temptations. He knows uh, all of the weaknesses. But he didn't fall prey to any of them. Somebody say, praise God. And the fact of the matter is, because he was faithful, he was able to go to that cross, die on that cross, shed his blood, as a perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and now we have our salvation. Jesus is God made manifest in the flesh. Today, I want to talk about something that might be even feel like it's a little more controversial, but it's not. I want to talk about the church and how important the church is and how God established his church through his son Jesus um, on, on planet Earth. I, I want to uh, preface it by saying that, you know, obviously me being a pastor, I'm going to be a little more partial to the message of the church because um, pastors are married to the church. That's what we do. We're, I'm, not a, I'm not an evangelist. I don't travel. So I, this is what I do, and I, and, I, and I love what I do. And I've been doing it, trying to do it faithfully for 20 years in this place. And, and, so, um, and so, but my family does not come 
from a bunch of church goers. My, my great-grandmother was a, a Pentecostal woman who did go to church, and she was the only one in the whole family. And she prayed for the family, that they would all get saved. And you know, one by one, every single one of her children got saved before they passed. I think there's one left, and, and they're saved. And uh, the grandkids are all getting saved, praise God. And the great-grandkids are all getting saved. And, well, you go in the Pruitts, and everybody's got religious stuff. And I say religious stuff, but, you know, Scripture verses on their Facebook accounts. And I go, wow, look at this. I mean, you, you 25, 35 years ago, man, nobody, no, all Pruitts were heathens. Come on, now, now, now you can see how God is actually, you know, he's done, done a work here. And in 1974, uh, uh, my dad was working for uh, a truck driving uh, outfit called Roadway Express in Rockford, Illinois. And uh, he was a young guy, about 25 years old, 20, 25, 26 years old. And there's a man that was working with him that was a born-again believer. Now, this, was the, this would be right, right toward the tail end or in that hot place of the tail end of the Jesus movement. And this man was on fire for God, on fire for Jesus. And, and so every chance he got, he, he tried to come and, and he, would want to, he would want to come and, and um, witness to my dad. And my dad, as the story goes, would say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. He'd keep on talking. I want to hear it. Finally, my dad said, look, I don't, I'm telling you right now, I don't want to hear this. Don't bring it up to me again. You're making me mad. Stop doing this. So he quit talking about the Lord. So the guy got a little more crafty, and he wasn't going to give up on my dad. Obviously, he was drawn to him. And, um, and so one day he said, Jerry, I know you don't talk about the Lord and all that. He said, but, you know, we got a special church service coming up. Would you ever consider just going to church with me and my wife, you and your wife? What he didn't know was that my dad at the time and mom were separated and filed for divorce and, and, and life was not good and, and, and the home front. And if he did know about it, he didn't know all the details of it. And so uh, my dad, out of desperation, you know, uh, I don't know how, about you, but sometimes God moves best in situations of desperation. And by the way, uh, I was just at Pastor Steve Muncy's on Wednesday night, and I preached that message I gave you all um, probably about eight months ago called Desperados, about desperation. And I mean, it was wildfire in the place. It, went wild. it was wonderful. It was a great experience. And people are still talking about it and, and inboxing me about it, so I'm happy about that. And I talked about the fact that desperation uh, breeds miracles, and things begin to happen. So my dad's desperate. He wants something to happen. Doesn't know what it is, so he's grasping at straws, and the guy invites him to church. And my dad and mom decide, my dad said, look, I know we're separated, blah, 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 but would you and the kids like to go to church this Sunday? She said yes. They got together, went to church that Sunday. The man of God is a little Baptist church, South Main Baptist. It's Pelly Road Baptist now. Same pastor all these years, uh, Pastor Jerry Hall. He's still there after all these years, and he preached a message, and my dad answered the altar call. My mom, my dad got saved, gloriously saved. God completely did a miracle. He went home right away, took all the alcohol that he had in the cupboards, and my mom let him back in the house, hallelujah, <laughs> and all the beer he had, and dumped it down the drain and said he's not going to drink no more. He's done with all that. And they started going to church on a regular basis. Then later on, they got filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and it was an amazing thing. You know, the second week, my, my mom and dad went to that little South Main Baptist church in Rockford. Uh, the second week, the man gave the altar call again. Pastor Jerry Hall gave the altar call again, and a little seven-year-old kid went up there and gave his life to Jesus, and that 
that seven-year-old kid was me. And you know why I gave my life to Jesus? Because I saw the power of God working with my folks. I saw it. I knew it was real. And when that man started talking about Jesus, I knew it was real. I laid my, raised my hand, and he had me come forward. I cried all the way down the aisle. And I kneeled down in the front pew, and I cried. And, he, and I remember him just leaning down and leading me to the sinner's prayer. And I literally had a relationship. That, at that moment, I had a relationship with Jesus at that very moment. All because one man decided that he was going to invite somebody to church. And now you're sitting in a church right now because of that one man who decided. And now there's a church in Phoenix that are sitting there this morning because of one man who decided. There's a church in, in Beloit because of one man that decided. And now I have churches that I'm in fellowship with because of one man that decided. And many more to come. Are you hear what I'm saying? He didn't have a pulpit. He didn't have incredible signs and wonders, miracle uh, ministry, but he had a heart to say, I know if I get them in the house of God and they get in that atmosphere, everything's going to change in their lives. Someone say amen. Uh, look what it says in Matthew 16, 13. This is what we're going to get. By the way, the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So I've been building foundation the last few weeks. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? He's looking for it to be personal. And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. Against what? My church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm starting to feel the flow of the Holy Spirit now. Look, look at the power of the church versus the power of the individual believer. The power of the church, the individual believer does have power. But there's a limitation to that power at best because God designed us to be connected or interconnected with others called the body of Christ. Not the individual of Christ, but many members coming together as one, the Bible says. And that's the perfect man. That's the mature man. That's what God's raised up in the earth. That all these many different people, gifts and talents, people coming together. In our area, we have a local church called Faith Builders coming from all over the county. All of us are coming together as one man. One person, a perfect specimen called the body of Christ. We're not perfect, but collectively, with all our gifts, our talents, our ability, the love that we have for each other, the love that we have for the lost, the love we have for the community, all that works together in unity. And there's power in that until it's called the church. And I'll get to the reason for that in a moment. But the church has the ability to stand against the powers of hell, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that the keys of God's kingdom were given to the church. So that when we come together, there's a different power than when, we have, when, when we're apart from each other. Now, I'm not saying we have to be together 24-7, but I'm saying we're together. There's a, there's a like-mindedness, like-heartedness. There's a vision that we have all going together in the same direction. If I was the devil, I would try to deceive God's people, say they don't need church, stay at home, watch television, go to the Internet, read a book, your Bible and Jesus, you and Jesus, that's all you got. That's not God's best. I suppose if you lived in a country where, you know, there wasn't those freedoms, God would do the best he could with you. 
No doubt about that. But if you live in freedom and you can get up and go to the house of God. Now, I, gotta, I need y'all praying. I need y'all praying because in September we're going to launch an online campus. But them are for folks that can't be here. I don't want you all staying home and getting lazy going, I'm just going to pop some popcorn, put my feet up, praise God, in my footy pajamas and listen to Pastor Pruitt preach me happy. That, that's not what we're doing this for. We still got to come together. And so the whole idea of us doing it online is to invite them to come. Amen. But there are shut-ins. There are people that can't make it. There are people that are in different parts of the world that aren't going to get here, and that's wonderful. But I'm talking about for us, God's best is for us to come together. We're empowered by it. We're empowered. Gates of Hades, let's just break this down for just a second. Um, Gates of Hades, Bible says, shall not prevail. Hell has no authority over the unified body of believers. Number two, Keys are given for the kingdom of heaven, which means that we have authority God gives us. He grants us together from heaven when we're together. And three, uh, there's power to bind and loose. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, right? I, I don't, I'm not the one who makes up the rules. I just know how it works. He said, Jesus said, if two or more are gathered together... Not the individual, not the one person, but a two or more. Why do you think the devil wants to keep people being, from being attached to the body of Christ? Keep us in a place that we're not connecting. Why? To keep us weak. The enemy can easily pick us off. That's why people go through cycles. Anyways, and so here I want to say to you is that he said, when two more gather together, he said, I promise to be in the midst of you. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will grant it or I will give you. Why? There's power in our unity. Okay? Another thing, and I can preach for a while on that, but John 15, 4, Jesus makes this statement. He says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. We are the body of Christ. Many members joined together as one called the church. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Are y'all catching this? I want to have fruit because a fruitless life is a frustrated life. Y'all listening to me. Hallelujah. It took you a second, but you were thinking about it. I got you. As a branch, the Bible says the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Connected. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I can't be fruitful in Christ unless I abide in him I am the vine, you are the branches, okay? He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do what? No thing, nothing, all right? Let's look at Romans chapter 14, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Now, I would call that an irrefutable principle that God's laying out there. You don't die to yourself, but you also don't live unto yourself. God's not calling us to live isolated lives. Amen. What I have noticed is most people don't want to be lonely. So that's not really the issue of isolation. What I have noticed is that there's a feeling that people get that when they're going through problems, they want to isolate themselves. I know I feel like that when I'm going through stuff. I don't want to talk to nobody about nothing. I just want to go away for a little while. I just want to, and sometimes I get the attitude, it's just me and the Lord. But I have found out that when I've been vulnerable 
and I've allowed people to into my life. And, and I just talked with our elders last week, and I told them some things are going on with me. And uh, oh, nothing bad, guys, but just some, just some things. Opened my heart. And I found out they were so receptive and praying. And I noticed there was like a, a weight that came off of me because I was no longer in a place where I was isolated. I was able to share with people that, that I knew I could trust and, and that would pray for me. There's always that. So there's something about when we get into trouble or when we get into a bind or when we get into physical issues or uh, financial issues or what have you, we want to isolate ourselves. And almost like a shame comes or a guilt comes upon us uh, to make us feel like we're not really even worthy. We may not think like that, but if you look a little, little bit deeper, that's kind of what it is. It's almost like like a shame. But isolation and exclusivity is not God's best, nor is it God's will for your life because it's not a part of the design. That's not in your DNA to be alone. When you gave your life to Jesus and you put your faith in him, you became a born-again believer. So the way that you used to do business has got to change. What's significant about that? Um, and what becomes the discipline to follow is actually found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. And, and by the way, this is where Peter preached this message, incredible first gospel message preached under the inspiration of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. When the Spirit of God fell upon him and spoke with tongues, y'all, and went out there and started preaching the message of Christ with now fire in his belly. And, and they, were, they, were, they were just, they were, they, were, they were enthralled by what Peter was saying. Now, when they heard this message that Peter was preaching, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Hear the message of Jesus. What shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, I don't want to take too long to preach on that, but my God, I could preach on that. Do you know the entry level into the church? Whew. Was you must repent. You must get baptized in water. And you must receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to die on the hill of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit in the sense that that's for salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But that was the entry level in the book of Acts. That's how you came into the church. They weren't ashamed of the power of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, y'all. Come on. Why? Because that's the fire of God. It makes all the difference in the world. For the promise, he said, for the promise is to you. Put it back up, guys. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Watch this. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Who is them? Who is them? The church. The church. They were instantly added to an existing group of people in that city, a local church in Jerusalem that was already established. And when Peter got up as an apostle, did the work of the evangelists and preached under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and got them people saved, they were added to something. 
they were added to them, which was the church. And church, the verb tense, is ekleo. And the, the, uh, uh, it means this. Uh, and let me give you the noun. It is the ecclesia. So you've heard me say it before. Ecclesia or ekleo. And it means this, the called out ones. The called out ones to the gates of the city. In those days when Jesus used the first term, he used the term for the first time rather uh, in the gospels, he said the church shall prevail. The church shall prevail. When he used that term, it was not known at that time as a religious phrase. It was not known as something that was spiritual. The church was a known word or known phrase. Ecleo or ecclesia, depending on how you use it, is a verb or a noun. And they all knew what it was. It was a political term in those days. I love Jesus because he takes stuff and makes it his own. And it was political in those days. And so when they said to go to the church, it meant to go out to the biggest part of the city. The biggest part of the city were at the gates. The marketplace was the biggest part of the city. And once a year at least, they would have the gathering of the church, which was like the, uh, the, the, it would be like the government address. And they would all go and they would hear the political leaders and talk about the things that were done in that year, the things that they're, they're doing now, and the things they're going to do for the year to come. And it would be a big political address to let them know, especially in Rome, they understood the term because it was very much known. Our politics are set up like that today. And so people were voted in and voted out. Same be, being done. In other words, they were, they were saying, Jesus was saying, my church is just like that. I want you all to gather together. And I want you to hear my address. I want you to know what I did yesterday, today, and what I'm doing forever. Somebody say amen. And when you gather together as one church, one body going one direction, just know that the gates, where's the church supposed to be? At the gate of the city. That the gates of Hades shall not prevail against you. Somebody ought to give the Lord a shout of praise in this house this morning. Come on. There can be no doubt that the New Testament is replete with examples of the unifying of God's people for fellowship, relationship, for encouragement, accountability, for instruction and vision, for help and aid, organization, strategy, corporate purpose, the heavenly calling, mobilization, deployment for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching and, yes, credibility and accountability. That was the purpose of it, and you see it all throughout the New Testament. And you see the prophecies of it in the Old Testament. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Uh, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Someone say amen. Evangelists pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now how in the world can they equip the saints if the saints don't come together? Right? Am I right? And for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning crafts and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. My objective as pastor in this local church is to get people to grow up or to mature in Christ from whom the whole body, watch this, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, we all grow when we come together. If we don't come together, we die, right? Why? We need each other to supply. I, you have to have my blood supply. You have to have your blood supply to become a body. And so, but if we're dismembered, we die. But if we come together, we all grow. We grow as a church. You grow as an individual. So you see, by the way, let me just say this too. This is important for me to get out. Is also God spoke to me, as most of you know the story, in 1990, um, 1998, the end of 98, and spoke to me about coming here. Didn't know I was going to come here. He said, you're in the wrong place. I need you in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. At the time, we were laboring in Madison. And we didn't know we were supposed to come here. And then I saw the vision, the hands extended from the cloud, and I heard the voices saying, please come. We need you here. And it was people of all different ethnicities, and I just knew it was God. We came, and the rest is history. We're celebrating 20 years this year. We're excited about that. But let me just tell you something, guys. God did not send me and my wife here to not have anybody show up or not just have half y'all show up. It's so that you all come together. So, so either I'm wrong or you're wrong. Someone's got to be wrong here. Am I right about it? Someone's got to be right about that too. But I know what the word says. And what the word says, we're supposed to come together. So I'm just following the pattern of scripture and the voice of the Holy Ghost to come to this city. Therefore, we must make it a priority to come to the house of God when the doors are open. And that's not just for my ego. But it is a fulfillment of vision in what Scripture says. But it's for your health and for your growth and for your vitality. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Another glimpse of the church. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to, to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where the two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be there in the midst of you. All right, we kind of covered that. Now, I just want to say this, is that when someone offends you, go to them. That's scripture. If they don't hear you, where do you go from there? To the what? Help me. To the church. Well, how in the world can we deal with it? Come on, somebody. If we're not coming together as the church. So you got to tell somebody. So the word of God expects us to be a part of something called the church. Amen. Now, I want to just mention that to you because I want you to see the importance of it. But again, we're not, we're not saved and converted to live our Christian lives alone. As believers, we have come into a living relationship with Jesus. And so now we must come into a new living relationship with other believers. It, it should be uncomfortable for us to share our lives with those of darkness while we're in the light. 
in other words, I don't mean that in the sense that you can't be comfortable enough to talk to somebody or, or to uh, share with somebody or to certainly uh, speak or witness the, uh, your, your testimony or share the gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. But to be buddy buddies with people who do not know God and they're not convicted by your lifestyle, I'm just telling you folks, something's out of order here. Something's out of order here. There's got to be a compromise you're, you're dealing with that they're no longer, they're not even moved by your testimony anymore. That should be your indication is I can't, I've gotten too close, I've gotten too familiar, and now my light, my light has been blown out. The whole purpose of you being saved and not going to heaven immediately after you got saved, he didn't take you to heaven right away. The reason why, he wants you to be the light in somebody else's life. You are the light of the world. First uh, John 4, 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. In other words, my point is, I've seen Christians get along better with sinners. And I get convicted about that. You know why? Because there's a time in my life I, I got along better with sinners than I did with Christians. Because I get so sick and tired of the foolishness of Christians and the hypocrisy of Christians. And sometimes it's just better to relate with somebody else for a while. So, but boy, God got, he got hold of me and said, uh-uh, that's not what I called you to. Well, I guess because I'm a pastor. No, period. That's not what I called you to. You got to learn to love each other. How can you say you love God and you haven't seen him and can't say you love your brother whom you can see? we got to learn to get along. The church is not easy. Am I right? Because sometimes people get on your last nerve and you only had four of them anyways. Amen. Am I right about it? So it's a difficult thing sometimes. They sat in your seat. They know you sit in that seat every week. Why in the world today they chose to sit in that seat? And you know it's trivial, but you can't help yourself. You get mad. You know the devil gets involved in stuff like that all the time, and he amplifies it, and you don't know. They just skipped a seat. They made a mistake. They weren't even thinking about it. But you think it's a personal attack. I, I hear what I'm saying. Th this would be a common objective of, of why people, especially God's people, don't go to church on a regular basis, if at all. They, they, they cry, hypocrites. They say there's cliques over there. They say those people are unloving. Those people are not inclusive, right? But look, the idea of church is not a man-made ideology. It's a God idea, right? So people can have all kinds of reasons why they don't go. And they may be legitimate reasons. But Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, uh, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. My point is this. Let's not give people excuses to not come to the house of God. Because of our own behavior. Because we don't get along. Do you know, if you're talking about somebody else behind their back in this church, but another church member, I promise you, somebody's listening. Somebody's over here. No, it was just me and them at that coffee shop. Nobody heard. No, but you don't know the people they told. You don't know who they went back and told. And now people go, see, why would I want to go to that church? Them people, all they do is hate each other. You know what I'm talking about. So we got to be real careful how we handle stuff. Family ought to handle things behind closed doors. If you got an offense, go to the one with the offense. Go to them. 
Say, look, I don't want to put you out, but I got to tell you something. Man, something you said, it just got to me, man. Help me here. I'm struggling. You know, go with the right heart. Don't go to smack them down. Go with the right heart and say, help me. Did I misunderstand you? Can you say, can you tell me what you meant? Let them talk to you. And usually those things get resolved pretty quick. But we can't handle our business on social network, guys. We can't handle our business out in public. That's not what a family does. We love each other enough to say we're going to respect each other enough to go to the person we got the issue with. Did you know that 90% of the New Testament was written to and about the local church? And people don't think it's important to go? There's, there's no better idea or concept for the church than that which was laid out by God and his word. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together. What does that say? When. So there's something there letting us know that there's an expectation. When you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a question about if you're going to do it or not, but there's an expectation that you will be together. Now let me give you a few more common objections for not going to church. One is this. I, I can get just as much from God staying at home watching Christian television or listening to Christian broadcasts or podcasts uh, as I can in the local church. The truth is we do need both. I'd be a liar if I didn't say we did. We, I get encouraged by other podcasts. I get encouraged by the television. I get encouraged. We're going to be going online soon. So all that, that, that's important. We need both. But one doesn't cross-cancel the other. And if we had to choose, pick one, it would be the coming together. Okay, because that's God's best. Um, uh, number two, it's not where we meet uh, with God that's important, they would say, but how we meet with God that's important. Again, that's true but incomplete. Both are important um, because we need to meet it pro properly, but where we meet is important too because the Bible says in Psalms 92, 13, it says those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God, okay? So it's important that we're planted in the right space or right place. Um, when people begin to go here and there, like you're here on Sunday, it's two Sundays of the month, you go to another church two Sundays of the month, and you're excited and happy, and, and you come talk to an elder here or me, and you tell us, and we go, huh? Well, why aren't you happy for me? I'm getting all the church I can in. No, you have to bloom where you're planted. I always tell people this, pick one. Unfortunately, tell I say it, they picked the other one. Hallelujah. I think because I'm the guy that told them to do it, praise God. Or they didn't pick, I don't know, I just didn't see them again. I don't know if they came back, went to church at all after that. But I always say, you can't do both. It's not fair to those people, it's not fair to these people, and it's certainly not fair to you. Why? Okay, it's simple. Because if you take a plant, how many uh, deals with uh, plants you like to, a little bit of a grim thumb, you kind of deal with like flowers and planting things, gardens and in your house? Okay, a few of you. Um, so you kind of know that a plant cannot take uh, the uprooting of one transplant from one place to the next. You can do it once. And it survived, but you got to take a lot of care, don't you? Those that plant, you got to take a lot of care. You got to watch it. You got to get the proper sunlight. It's got to have the proper soil, the proper uh, water. Because why? The plant goes into a shock when it's moved from one environment to the next. Now, that's sometimes even that transplant does not survive. That's that's how uh, fragile and gentle it is. Imagine doing that week 
after week. How long would that plant survive? All you people know that plant stuff? You know, probably not over, the, over a third one. It won't work. Well, what makes us think that every time we uproot ourselves and go somewhere else, we're going to survive? We're just not. Bloom where your plant is so that you can flourish in the courts of your God. Somebody say amen. How do you choose the right church? How do you choose the right church? Uh, well, uh, number one, does it challenge you? If I'm not challenging, you're probably not the right place. Challenge you means I'll probably make you mad. At some point, I'm going to say something. You go, ah, don't like that. Don't agree with that one. And that's the one God goes, oh, really? And you can't get it past the word. I showed you 14 Bible verses on it. And you go, dang, you know. It's challenging you. Number two, does it give you vision? Is it going somewhere? Number three, does it inspire you to want to live for God, to want to pray, to want to worship? To want to do better, of course. Uh, number four, uh, are you growing? Are you flourishing? Can you look back and go, I'm better because of it? And number five, can you see yourself there in five to ten years? Those are the things that you can ask yourself, just practical things to know if that's the place for you. People come to me and they say, man, I walked in doors and I just knew. Other people came in and been coming for a month and God spoke to me. It's, it happens differently for different people. But I always feel this way. It should feel like your home. Feel like I just feel like I belong here. I don't even know why. Don't even like half the people, but I just feel like I'm supposed to be here. And they say, Pastor, can you give me a word? Let me know if this is my church. Would you ask the Lord? No. Lazy? You ask the Lord. Well, why won't you just tell me? Tell me. Give me a word. Tell me. I'm going to tell you why. Because now you're going to be dependent upon me. You're going to be dependent on me. And when life gets tough, and it will, and when something goes wrong in the church you don't like, your word is going to be what I gave you. And, 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 and you might just leave. But if God told you to come, you get through all the hard times. You just say, wait a second. God told me. I can't escape it. I know. I know what he said. That goes for the pastor of the church too. Because I see a lot of pastors transplanting all over the place too. I notice they don't get called to Michigan. They don't get called to Detroit. They don't get called up north where it's cold. Huh? They get called to California, Florida, Texas. Am I right about it? I'm thinking, dear God, God is kind to you. Hallelujah. No, you go where God tells you to go. And you stay there. And I don't even go, I, I never go, I'm here until God moves. I don't even say until God moves me. It doesn't even cross my mind. I'm here. I'm here. Well, if God tells you, sure, if God tells me. But my mind doesn't even give myself an out. I'm here. This is my life until Jesus comes back. I can say that. Praise God. So the only thing that's going to move me and should be the same with you is God in his direction with uh, several uh, confirmations. And not them silly confirmations either. I have people confirm it, and I know I'm supposed to go. And they the people that don't go to church have time and give no tithe and offering, don't pray, but they confirmed I'm talking about confirmation for people you respect, people that you know hear the voice of God. That's what you got to have. Amen. And if they don't say yes, I would listen. You're controlling me. No, far from it. Far from it. I'm blessing. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to keep it a harm's way. I may know a thing or two about this thing. Trust me, I don't want to control anybody's life, but I'll tell you what, if I don't have a thing in my spirit that says yes, I'm not saying yes. I may not say no, but I won't say yes. That's for fact right there. All right, number that's just a soapbox. Here we go. 
Um, another objection would be, I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. Now, the problem here isn't too many activities as it is wrong priorities. Because I see y'all don't come to church, but then I get online. I see, well, they went to that party. They went to that thing. They were at that function. Uh, but they can't, no, no time for Jesus, but they got time for everything else. Come on, y'all. You think I'm a fool? You think I was born yesterday? And it, I, that's not even, that's fool me. That's fine. You ain't fooling Jesus. It's too tough to preach today. <laughs> yeah, it is for somebody. I have found that whatever people enjoy, they do. Whatever they enjoy, they do. Have you ever called up your boss and said, look, I'm just really going through a spiritual battle right now. And I'm just going through a lot. And uh, so I just wondered, you know, I'm just going to have to, I can't make it today. I just can't get in there today. I hope you understand. What do you think your boss is going to do? What do you think your boss is going to do? You go, hello? <laughs> I want to let's restart this conversation. Because people's spiritual levels are so low, they lack commitment to God's house and make it optional rather than a loving commitment to unify with God's people in worship. And I got so much to say, but I'm completely out of time. But let me just say, have you ever considered, I made some of you mad. And maybe I didn't because you're here. You're going to church, so obviously maybe I didn't. But maybe you're thinking about somebody. But let me, have you ever considered this? Have you ever considered that maybe you're as much needed as anybody else is? Have you ever considered that you not being plugged in to the local church means that we're missing something? And we don't know what it is. We're not quite sure what it is, but we feel like something's missing and maybe that thing we're feeling we're missing is actually you? Amen. I'm not a coddler, as you can tell. I don't coddle people very well. I, I'm a provoker. I want to get people, look, we all got issues. We all got problems. We all got the things, you know. But you can do better than this. The Bible says that the wine is found in the cluster. In other words, one grape can't give you wine. But if you take the whole cluster and crush the grapes, it will give you enough to drink. If we all come together, we can produce so much more than we can individually. Somebody say amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise.